Another reason is we haven't, as men, built the right community and 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 peer set and support around us to step into those difficult areas of our life. Because it's very it's very scary to do that alone. Yeah. Right. But the irony of being humans is like we are not we we were not put on this earth to operate as individuals. If I could give you one message that could dramatically shift the direction of your life, I would tell you to visualize a world in which there was no judgment for the decisions you've made in the past, in which you weren't paralyzed by fear and you could make decisions that were in alignment with the life you desire to live. One in which you could speak only the truth of what exists on your heart. I would tell you to look at the life you're living now and reflect deeply on what you really wish could change. And then have you look down at the life you just created and the life you're living now. And I'd get real close and I'd look you in the eye. That type of look that says, this is too important to let pass. Your life is too important to let pass. And I'd lean in and with your full attention on me and those two life paths, I'd say, you choose. Welcome to the You Choose podcast. I'm your host, Billy Garson Jr. I'm a former division one and professional athlete turned men's mental health advocate. I'm a transformation coach, public speaker, and I'm the proud founder of the You Choose movement, which exists to equip young men with the tools and techniques to choose a life that is in alignment with their highest self. It is my greatest honor and privilege to be with you today, the young man who is in a period of great transition in his life, who's asking questions and seeking answers. And on this podcast, through a series of interviews with professional athletes, men's coaches, and self-help gurus, we aim to educate, equip, and inspire you to bridge the gap between where you are and where you aspire to be. So listen deeply and find yourself in the stories of those who've sat in your shoes and now walk in the areas in which you wish to walk. What does it mean to suppress? What does it mean to hide? What does it mean to run? And I don't mean physically run, although some of us do that. But what does it mean to mentally and emotionally keep running away from the truth of what exists inside? I just want you to contemplate that question today um, as we're going to be diving deep into that and a lot more with a guest who I am so humbled, honored and excited to have and be having a beautiful conversation with today. Our guest today is the co-founder and CEO of Everyman which is a global community of men who come together to challenge and assist one another in their personal growth. Every man provides men with tools, resources, and community to proactively support their mind and emotional health and build deep, meaningful relationships. And since its launch in 2017, Every Man's helped thousands of men lead happier, healthier, more connected lives through retreats, workshops, and weekly groups. The company's been featured in the New York Times, Mental Health, Men's Mental Health, sorry, GQ, and the Today Show. But that's the company. Let's talk about our guest. Prior to moving to New York City in 2010, our guest today spent 10 years overseas working in media consulting and publishing, 
before holding executive leadership positions at the Fortune 100 technology companies. But more intimately, through divorced parents, a father suffering with bipolar disorder, plus the eventual loss of his father and both grandparents, he ventured down a path of loneliness, isolation, and emotional suppression, masked through unhealthy coping mechanisms. Drugs, alcohol, and adventure all became distractions for his deep desire to be with his family. He drove himself further and further away from his truth, convincing himself that he was okay, until he wasn't. And today we're going to uncover the truth of the story that exists through the eyes of the man who lived it. Dive deep into the journey of healing that he has been on and gain a greater understanding of how and why every man came into existence. So again, I'm honored, excited, humbled to be partaking in such a conversation. So to all of you listening, follow along, listen deeply and find yourself in the story of a son, brother, friend and heart-centered leader, Lucas Crump. Lucas, it's, a, it's an honor to have you here. Thank you. It's uh, it's an honor to be here, Billy, and um, such a beautiful introduction, uh, humbling on many levels. I appreciate it so much. Of course, of course, you deserve it for the work that you've done, and I, I would love Lucas to begin with this story here and this conversation, not by addressing what's going on now, but really going back to where to where it all began for you. You know, the beginning. Um, from your perspective, how would you describe your upbringing as a boy? And, and what would you say you look at as now as, as key moments in your life that maybe shaped, shaped the man that you are? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's one that I reflect on often because I, I truly believe that, you know, our, our lowest self is our highest self. So the wounds that we, um, you know, endure throughout our lives oftentimes can can help serve us in some way. Um, and so if I look at where I am today and I look at where I came from, um, it's not really surprising that I'd be doing this work today. Um, I grew up in Kansas. Um, you know, as you mentioned, my father was bipolar. Um, that put a lot of stress um, on me as a young, young boy and on my family growing up. Um, you know, in so many ways, the example that my father set for me was was an example of of what not to be or who not to be mm. in this world um and so you know the struggle that i had with my relationship with him which for the most part was one that was very confused mm. um and not necessarily safe um is is what in many ways I'm, I'm creating for my own self and in, in, in the world today. Mm. Um, growing up in Kansas, at, you know, at a very young age, I went inward uh, to escape the, the chaos in my life um, to ultimately protect myself. So I learned how to depend on myself. Uh, you know, at a very young age, I um, <clears throat> started uh, working in order to, you know, make, make money so I could go on field trips and, um, you know, have the semblance of a, of a normal life as I saw it as a young mm. boy. Um, <clears throat> eventually, um, I ended up going to an all boys Jesuit school, um, that my mother, uh, worked at. Um, and that was really the first exposure that I had to all sort of male, activities at the time in, in 
um, in high school, they were, <clears throat> you know, religious retreats and things like that. Um, but I always gravitated towards those experiences, those opportunities to connect with my classmates and, and, you know, guys that I played sports with on a deeper level. Um, so I always felt very called to that. Um, after high school, I, um, spent some time out West, uh, as a, as a, as a ski bum, yeah. um, eventually ended up in college. Um, and, you know, after college, Growing up in Kansas, I always say that, you know, if you grew up in Kansas, all I wanted to do was leave and get far, further away from this this place in the middle of America. Mm. You know, there was a certain draw that I had to seeing the world. But if I if I look back more deeply on that, the the driver for, for me moving overseas was really to escape, to escape a lot of the pain and the hurt that came from my childhood. Mm. So I, you know, I, I jumped on the first opportunity I had to um, leave Kansas. I actually ended up working um, first in Africa and then in the Middle East and spent some time in, in, um, in the Caribbean and South America before moving to Asia. Um, you know, and that was an incredible journey. That was 10 years of my life. But as exciting as that adventure was for me, if I look back on it, the unconscious narrative that I was experiencing was running away from my, from my past and not really facing a lot of the pain and the hurt that, that I had experienced. Yeah. And, you know, I used sort of the excitement of adventure to cover up the the deep hurt that I had. Mm -hmm. Did you know at that time, were you conscious of the fact that you were running or did you just feel, I'm just going out on a venture? I think the first few years, no. I, I think I was, I was just running. And I think eventually that caught up with me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was 27, 28 years old. And the, as the years passed and I got further and further from the, 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 you know, further and further from the kid that I was yeah. to the person that I was now, it became more and more clear to me that I was running away from the pain that I, that I was experiencing. And, and as I, as the years went by, that pain, that hurt, that wound got deeper and deeper. Mm. And so there was more and more of a need to figure out ways to Call disconnect my head, my heart mm. in order to cope with what I was experiencing. Yeah. Uh, what was the pain when you say you were running away from the pain? If you could describe the pain and like the thoughts that were going on when you weren't distracted or when you weren't covering up or when you weren't running, what was the pain for you? It's a great question. Um, I think the pain was knowing that at a young age, the, the traditional relationship that a boy has with his father, um, you know, a, a father, as I understand it, is, is supposed to provide um, in many ways, but one of the, the primary things that that 
I believe men are responsible for providing for themselves, others, and ultimately their children is safety. Mm-hmm. And that relationship with my father was fractured. I never felt safe with him. And there's a certain, when, when you don't feel safe, you're not free to fully experience and express all parts of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so I was never given that opportunity. It was never safe. It was never safe for me. I could never relax and just be a kid. Yeah. Um, what parts and, of yourself, I love that you shared that. What parts of yourself do you feel like you couldn't express? Like what were you in fear of showing to maybe your father and then eventually to the world? What were you afraid of showing? Well, my father was bipolar. So at any given moment, you didn't know what was going to, he could be on the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And there was a lot mm-hmm. of violence. There was a lot of rage. Um, and I think there was also, you know, I didn't, I didn't necessarily have anybody to look up to. You know, I didn't, I didn't have, I didn't have a father that I could go to that could provide me sort of guidance and support and, and ultimately safety. Mm. Uh, you know, and I, and I don't blame my father for that. He, he had his own struggles. Yeah. But his struggle impacted me deeply. Yeah. And understanding that relationship now, I, I've seen you and heard and, and, and read up a little bit that you talk about the empathy that you now have for maybe some of the loneliness that he was experiencing inside. How do you approach that forgiveness, not only of him, but of yourself for maybe the resentment that you had in, in moments for that? what else is there to do than forgive? Wow. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can't go back and change the, the, the past. The one thing that I can do in this moment is forgive him for what was, honor what he did give me, and then use that to, you know, better myself in the way that that, yeah. that, that supports me in, in being whoever I want to be in this world. Hmm. And for a long time, what I'm hearing is that you chose not to better yourself. You chose to run and you chose to keep, am I correct well, in that? Yeah. Well, I think in for sure, but I think the key was, is I didn't know how, I didn't know what to do. Hmm. Uh, you know, nobody taught me. Nobody, nobody taught me how to deal with with what I was experiencing. Nobody taught me how to deal with the the struggle that I was experiencing, the emotions that I was feeling. Like, I was not given the roadmap, like so many of us, yeah, to to actually experience um, what we're experiencing. Yeah, and so I simply did. The, the natural thing, which was to run away from it and to, you know, self-medicate and anything else mm-hmm. um, in order to survive, right? I think what, what we forget as humans and as men is that first and foremost, we are hardwired to survive. That is what we were put on this earth to do. 
And so we will, when, when we are in struggle, whether that be a, a, you know, a, a physical struggle in a, in a, in a situation yeah. where we need to escape yeah. or whether that be a, a mental or emotional struggle, we are going to orient ourselves towards survival. So we are going to do whatever it takes to escape that situation, that pain, that suffering that is causing us discomfort. And for you, those things were? For me, those things were anything that would take me away from feeling what I was feeling. You know, ad- adventure, uh, you know, women, drugs, alcohol. Yeah. Uh, it, it didn't, it, it didn't really matter. It was, they were all things, they were all tools that I was using to feel less of what I was feeling. So are you saying then that the only way to heal is to really stop and, and face yourself? How do you, how do you look at now being able to approach that for these guys who, myself included, who, who want to run and who want to experience you and who want to travel and who want to go out and party and all of these things? How did you begin to distinguish that I'm partying and running away and traveling and I'm doing these things because I'm suppressing and I'm, I'm trying to protect myself versus this is just genuine enjoyment? Many of us are asleep at the wheel, right? We don't know what we don't know. We haven't put a lot of thought into why we're doing what we're doing. Um, you know, we're, we're not necessarily conscious, right? Mm-hmm. And so when we, when we actually slow down and we feel what we're feeling yeah. on a, on, on a, deeper level yeah then we become conscious and aware of what we may or may not be doing Mm. to enable us to feel less of whatever it is we're feeling so how as a man then as a young man in particular um for context do you slow down and really allow yourself to feel when that's not deemed as the hyper-masculine stereotype that's deemed as weak, insecure, feminine, gay, all the things that come in and those are all the yeah. labels. So how do you consciously slow down and, and face yourself? What are the steps? It's a, it's a skill. It's a skill. It's a practice that we're not taught how to do. And, and we can, as humans, learn how to do that. You know, mm-hmm. what's interesting is humans are the most adaptable creatures on earth. We, 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 we are here today because we've adapted to our environment. I mean, yeah. you know, the human body, the body that you're in right now hasn't experienced any significant genetic or physiological change yeah. in the last 10,000 years. What has changed is the environment that that body is in, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So the 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 initial thing that you were given to experience life yeah. uh, that we were all given has it is now operating in a culture in a society in in within you know social norms and and everything else that are very very different than what we were intended to be doing so is it only through men's groups, men's communities and, and things that 
that you're facilitating that men can can heal? Or can you, for example, a guy who's in college, yeah, right, who's looking to do this work, he knows that he is, that there's something that's not quite clicking in yeah. his life. What are the steps that he takes to separate from an environment that he can't quite separate from physically right. and begin the work on himself? Right. And first of all, I just want to honor the, the young man that's even having those thoughts. Because mm. if I would have had those thoughts, <laughs> yeah, and that and that that wherewithal, if you will, uh, you know, I wouldn't have made the mistakes that I'd made, and and maybe my life would look different. That being said, I'm I'm very very happy, and I I have gratitude for 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 everything that has that has occurred on my journey. Yeah. But I just want to honor any man, any young man that is certainly at this place where he's where he's thinking more deeply about who he wants to be and how he wants to show up in the world. Right. Uh, I think the first step that he can take is really starting to have a deeper conversation with his own self around who he wants to be and how is he being in, in this moment? Is my, is there a congruency between my actions and what I feel in my, in my body, in my heart, in my, mm. in my gut? Like, is there a congruency? Yeah. You know, yeah. and that doesn't necessarily mean that he has to then all of a sudden change everything. The awareness and the consciousness is such an important step to then orienting towards whatever he wants to become mm. in, in his life. Yeah. Um, but that's a really important step. And I think, you know, in order to in order to even get to that place, you've got to slow down. Mm. What happens is we go, 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 because oftentimes we don't like to sit with the person that we are. Yeah. So if we slow down and we get real, real, real quiet and we start to feel what we're feeling and we start to really experience what we're experiencing, yeah. it can be very confronting. It's scary. It's very, very scary. Yeah. To then take action in that fear, that is the skill. That is the muscle that none of us, I, I don't want to generalize, but more often than not, we have not developed. Hmm. We haven't been to that gym. Like, how do you take action in the face of discomfort? Because keep in mind that as much as we are hardwired to survive, we also have an innate ability to be comfortable. Yeah. We like being comfortable. Comfortable is good. Yeah. However, comfort 
on a biological level is not our resting state. You know? Yeah. When, right now, when we get a little bit hungry, what do we do? We eat. Right. When we get a little bit tired, what do we do? Sleep. Yeah. Right. You know, when we, you know, when we have to move heavy things, we either give up or get help, right? Yeah. Yeah. But if this was 250 years ago, or maybe a thousand years ago, there was a real need. There was a real stress. Like, what if I'm not going to eat? What if I'm not going to be able to find food, right? That stress is a healthy stress, mm. right? Yeah. It, like, it, it keeps us alert and alive and awake. And I use those as examples because I think a lot of what we experience as individuals is where we deny our evolutionary biology. Like, oh, wow, like I'm comfortable. Why am I going to want to be uncomfortable? Yeah. Like, yeah. why am I going to want to be hungry? Like, oh, if I can't like, you know, lift the that core thing. Of it, at the core of it, we mm. say we're comfortable, but the level of discomfort internally is an insane amount of discomfort. Right. Well, that's the paradox, right? Yeah. Because we've subscribed to a level of comfort that we believe is intended to make, make us comfortable, to remove our struggle, right? Yeah. We're, we're so oriented to be happy all the time, <laughs> to live in this like blissful moment, hmm. um, which I'm not saying is a bad thing, yeah. But what is our relationship with discomfort? Mm. And those people who are prepared to face it. I mean, the one word that comes to mind when, when you talk about it for me is courage. Mm -hmm. And it's funny that, that men claim to be strong and that's a, that's a tendency of men, yet so many of us lack the courage to face ourselves and to right. face the discomfort and to overcome that because we would rather sit in... <laughs> in the temporary comfort, I guess, for lack of a better word, that, that exists in the moment. Right. I would call it the courage to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And the vulnerability in that sense is, can you be vulnerable with yourself? Can you be sad without judgment about your sadness? Can you be afraid without judgment for your fear? Can, can you can you be happy without fear of that happiness going away? <laughs> I think that's why so many men lie, right? I think that's why that's why the the the, the dynamic of lying comes in, right? Because we first well, lie to we ourselves. We lie to the most ourselves. We lie to ourselves, and then in turn we lie to the world because lying to the world keeps us safe and comfortable. Keeps us safe. And what happens is we don't actually get the space to practice being that authentic self. So what happens is over time, 
you know, when we subscribe to this way of being and, and it's rewarded and in many ways incentivized in our culture, we begin to develop, you know, our, our neural pathways form around that. We, we, we literally, our brain decides, you know, we, we burnish neural pathways into our brain to keep us safe and comfortable <laughs> around these beliefs. Yeah. And it isn't until we actually slow down and, tr- and, and start to engage in a sustained, consistent practice of operating from a different place, you know, in the face of fear, enabling courage in the face of shame, speaking my truth. Yeah. Do we begin to rewire our neural pathways? Yeah. Here's something I'm fascinated by in relation to this. And it is the concept that for so many men, it takes an absolute breakdown or a meltdown for them to get to this place where they finally realize I'm going to face myself. I'm going to face my truth. And so many of us wait uh, for years of our lives, for the majority of, some some guys don't even ever face it. But why does it have to take a mental breakdown for this realization to happen? And I guess along that topic, I would love to hear from your perspective and and in your story, what it took for you to realize that that change was needed. You know, um, It is a. It, there's so many. There's so many levels of that. Of that. Of the answer to that question, um, I think one. It has to do with with socialization, right? You know, we our our culture hasn't necessarily uh, given us permission as men to be authentic and open as we as we could be with certain areas of our life, right? And so we're battling against this social narrative that's only reinforced through media and, and everything else, yeah. right? We're being told to be one way, but at the, but in, in reality, the way we're being told is in direct conflict from what we actually should be doing, right? Right. I, I think... Another reason is we haven't, as men, built the right community and, and, and peer set and support around us to step into those difficult areas of our life. Because it's very, it's very scary to do that alone. Yeah. Right? But the irony of being humans is like we are not... We, we were not put on this earth to operate as individuals. You know, why do we think, you know, if you you look at, you know, historically speaking, for the better part of human history, we have participated and operated in tribes, in small communities of people, right? Yeah. Men did go out to hunt on their own they went out together together yeah. yeah right it wasn't until the industrial revolution when we moved out of the field and into the factory and 
the industrial complex started to incentivize individual contribution over collective contribution. Mm. And we now look at where we're at today, we're oftentimes, our, our orientation is, is individualistic. It isn't group oriented. Hmm. And I think right? as men on that topic as well, like you notice in women that maybe there is an individualism concept there as well, but they aren't against each other. It doesn't seem as though they are against each other. Men feel right. as though we're against each other. And so whenever right. an opportunity arises to share and to process and to be in community, we see each other as the enemies. Yeah. And that's got to be the problem, right? That has to be a core root as to why we won't gather unless there are conscious, safe spaces intentional to gather. Well, uh, and I think, you, I think you nailed it. We men are, we, we are conditioned to compete. Right. In many of the environments that we participate in, we have we have sort of championed the 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 singular success, right? Right. Versus you know, to the point where I have to compete. Like, hey, Billy, there's only one job. Like, who's gonna get it? You know? me or you. And, and I'm not, I'm not, there's certain things that have to be, I'm not advocating to change those, but we can certainly change our mindset and our orientation around that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like how do we, you, you know, how do we default to a place of, of generosity and love versus, you know, and abundance versus sort of scarcity and singularity. Which is the programming. Right? Which, which is the programming. And, so it, and it's served us well. I mean, you could argue it's, it's served us very, very well. But it, it's, it's, I believe that it's contrary into our nature to, to operate in a way where if I win, you have to lose and I should be happy about that. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you bring men then into a space before they've become aware of the deeper problems, right? They're already suppressing. They're already running away. They're already doing things to hide. How do you bring it to their awareness, the reality of what exists before it gets to the place? Like how do you undo that programming now? Like, how do you make them realize that now? What is the work that gets to be done to bring them to that space? Well, I, I think, you know, one of the things that I've seen um, since, you know, since I individually have been doing this work and then since the inception of every man is like, we are moving into a place where, you know, individuals like yourselves are talking about this subject, mm -hmm. right? And so we are, we're changing the social narrative and we're making it, more and more okay. Yeah. Um, but un unfortunately, you know, consciously or unconsciously, like you're only going to do what you want or need to do. Like you're only, you know, until the pain is 
is too great, you're not necessarily going to change. Hmm. Is there a level of trust that you have with somebody that could make you change, that could force you to face that reality? Like, for example, when you were traveling, I believe it was, what was it, 23 to 32, I believe it was when you were traveling? Yeah, yeah. Looking back now, what did you need to hear before things got to the height at which they did? What, if said to you, would have shifted how you showed up earlier? It's a great question. I think... where you are is exactly where you're supposed to be. Hmm. You're like, Hey, it's okay to not have all the answers. Like it, it's okay to not have it all figured out. Like it's okay to feel whatever it is you're feeling. Like whatever you're experiencing, it's okay. Yeah. Wow. And and I think from from a male perspective to hear those words and step into that feeling in a place that's safe. And when I say safe, I, I don't necessarily mean physical safety. I mean yeah. emotional safety. Okay. Meaning that like Hey, Billy, whatever you're feeling right now is okay. And I need to be in the only way though, that another, the, the only way to create that, that safety for you is if I am in my, with the relationship with my own self is safe. Hmm. if I know who I am, if I'm able to individually be vulnerable to my own experience, be open to what I'm experiencing, yeah. then I, from that place, can actually create that safety for you. Hmm. Yeah. So in the sense of community then, right, where you as a leader have created that within yourself, but these men are looking at all these other men thinking they also don't have the emotional capacity to feel safe within themselves. So how can I trust him and him and him and him and him? How do you create those safe environments? I think that, that that's part of the magic. One of the, you know, at the core of what we practice at every man, and there is, you know, yeah, tens and 20, 30, 40 years of, of work developed through the methodology that we use at every man through my co-founder, Owen Marcus. Yeah. There's a tremendous amount of science that goes into the um, how we actually co-regulate one another. When I say co-regulation, meaning that we know through science that I can actually through my behaviors and our the depth of our connection, I can actually downregulate your parasympathetic nervous system. Hmm. I can, when we actually lock in and 
engage in a set of practices and do that on a consistent basis, we can co-regulate. We can reduce our stress and anxiety and we can get to a calmer state of being, which then energetically actually creates that safety for us. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I, that I think is the, is the uh, I, I don't even know how to explain. The, the phenomenon that I see is what I call the superhero problem. Okay. Is so many men are looking to these, you know, Instagram superheroes that have it all figured out. You know, the, the, the list goes on the, 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 the Joe Rogans and the, the, you know, Wim Hofs and, and, and Aubrey Marcuses and all these people. Like, I'm not saying that these guys are bad. I think that they're great. Right. But men don't necessarily recognize that it's their job. Like that's what they're paid to do. They are entertainers, right? Like, you know, yeah. Aubrey Marcus, Joe Mar, you know, Joe, these guys are entertainers, right? Yeah. And when we look to these superheroes that supposedly have all the answers for us, you know, jump in the ice bath and do all this stuff, we're actually giving up our power. Mm. We're, we're, we're removing the agency that we have in ourselves to care for ourselves, to change how we're feeling and everything. And we're giving it to somebody else like, oh, you know, Billy, you have all the answers for me. Mm. That, that, that formula is unsustainable because no person outside of yourself has the answers for you. Like, I, I'm not saying don't, don't, you know, listen and appreciate what all of those individuals do. I think they're doing great work. And if men find, um, you know, growth and, and healing and all of those things in, in the work of those individuals. Amazing. Like go for it. I am pro that, but be cognizant of the fact that what happens within ourselves, when we give up our own agency, when we look to these superheroes that supposedly have it all figured out and we begin to start to mimic their Mm. behavior, because we think that their behaviors are going to be the right behaviors for us mm. to remove our pain and suffering and whatever it is. Yeah. So it's like, wow, if I make my life look like his life, then my life will be great. Yeah, it's almost like we think we exist in the same human body as, as, as them, right? But in reality, like, hey, you've just betrayed your own self because you've basically told yourself that you don't, that your body, who you are, is not sovereign. You don't have the agency to decide what's right for you. Hmm. And I think it's a very, it, but it's human nature, right? It is human nature to look outside, to want the pill, to want the person that has all the answers for us because that's way fucking easier. And we don't trust ourselves. And we don't trust ourselves, Right? We trust ourselves enough to to want to face and trust that we do actually have the answers inside our own mind and we can figure right. that out. And I don't think we trust that we can go at it alone and there's a feeling that Bobby Marcus is with me and Wim Hof is giving me the answers and, and I can do this with them. Yet right. you share, we're moving further and further 
and further. You're just moving further from yourself. <laughs> exactly. And, and again, I'm not. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but we have to be. There's an incredible book called The Guru Papers, um, in which an individual just made him turn himself into a guru, and wow. it's fascinating how willing people are to follow gurus, to mm. follow people because because like, you know, it's it's easier. Yeah. So what you're saying, continue, finish what you're saying. Yeah, it's just, I'm saying that we have to be really conscious. It is very important for for men to have agency. Mm. Yeah. To establish boundaries, to decide what their orientation is for them, for their own self. I mean, people ask some, you know, I get these questions all the time. Like, well, what does it mean to be a man? Like, I don't give a. I have no fucking idea what it means to be a man. What the definition of being a man is, uh, like, because that—that's every individual's own perception. Yeah, you know, perception. That's their truth. That's for them to define on their own, and that would be very egotistical and wrong for me to think that I had the answer. Isn't there something to say to to the guidance that people seek that helps them find their truth? I think that's very, very important. And the guidance is is incredible. We need guides. We need men to walk with us, to show us the path. We need elders, right? Mm-hmm. One of the things that I think is a struggle for young men today is we don't have a relationship with elders. We don't know how to receive wisdom. We think we know everything. (laughs) We think we know everything. And you guys do, right? I mean, you know, spoiler alert, knowledge is totally democratized. You give me a weekend, I can be an expert on fucking anything. I can just watch, you know, 50 hours of YouTube videos. Yeah. And act like I know this thing. Hmm. Experience is what's different. And so it's like, you know, Billy, you're 25 years old. Like, I don't expect for you to have all the answers. You're only 25 years old. Yeah. So why are you putting that pressure on yourself to actually have all those answers right now? I guess I'd throw that back at you. Why do you think we do that? Why do you think I do that? Because we don't, because we've been conditioned to go inwards because we think that we have to have all those answers, uh, right? Because for because what it means when we don't. Because what, what, what does it mean when we don't? Because mm. we're incentivized to have all those answers. We're supposed to have figured it all out, right? But, yeah. but that's not how it works. I mean, time, like time is linear, right? Like, like yeah. you know, well, it's a relationship to the words, right? It's a relationship right. to the vulnerability that comes with accepting that you don't know. And it's a, the relationship that we've built to the humbleness of, of not, of, of being able to accept the fact that like you share there, I don't have all the answers. Even me saying that now, there's some shift that happens in my body when you say, I don't have all the answers. 
and the relationship that it seems as though we've built to accepting that fact, that's what gets to change. That's what gets to shift. A hundred percent. I mean, I'm 43 years old, right? I don't have all the answers. Just because I'm I'm the one of the co-founders of Everyman, I sit in an Everyman group every single week with with guys that are just like me. Yeah. Uh, you know, I struggle in my relationship. I struggle in my in my in my business. I don't have all the answers. I have the I have the the information that I have gathered up until this point in my life that I'm using to orient myself. But that doesn't mean that I have all the answers. Hmm. I'm figuring it out just like everybody else. So that's, I guess that's sort of like an ego dialogue then, right? The, the feeling that we as men want to put ourselves above everybody else and like almost accepting that you are not above nor below anybody allows for this community and this connection like you're talking about. Well, a hundred percent, because the second that we put ourselves above somebody else, we actually deny ourselves the ability to have relations and connection with those people. We need connection. We are hardwired to connect. Yeah. And when we're, when we're trying to connect from a place of better than or from a place of this is who I am in the world, this is what I do, that doesn't mean shit. You've just basically denied your ability to have a, a connection with another man just based on him being a fellow man. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> you know, one of the most powerful things in every man groups is we put men in groups from all over the world that they don't know each other. They are from all different ages, races, socioeconomic backgrounds, jobs. I mean, we have rock stars and, you know, students and, you know, blue collar guys and white collar guys and guys from, you know, the middle of America and South America. Like, it doesn't matter. The common denominator, we all identify as men and we all come together. But you know what the magic is? Is when we do that, the varied experience that each one of those men brings to the table in service of themselves and that group is where the growth happens. But quite frankly, we are so conditioned. We will, we will not opt into that type of environment <laughs> if we are given a choice. Because it's confronting. Yeah. You know, like, oh, God, you know, shit, the guy in, uh, you know, I don't know, California, like, is he going to go sit with a guy in Texas? I don't know. They might have different politics. They might look different. They might, uh, you know, they might not make as much money. Like, oh, no, I have to be, I have to be with the elite guys. I have to be with the, the, the guys who have really figured it out. Or I want to be in this mastermind with it. Like, okay, great. Like, awesome. But like, what are you actually really doing? You're actually just denying your ability to have a, a to gain a perspective and a depth of, of knowledge and experience, which has the ability to be so incredibly enriching and transformative. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, you're, 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 you're basically putting yourself in an echo chamber of people that just talk and look and act exactly like you, yeah. which I'm not saying is a bad thing. You know, we're the average of the top five people that we spend the most time with. Yeah. But we also just need to be very conscious of the bias that we have around who are those people because taking at face value, we don't know anybody's story. We don't know what their experience is and what they can bring to, to my experience and what I can learn from them and how they can help me grow and, and evolve as a person. We've almost created like a, a higher, an internal hierarchy of like what, who we should be and what exists below and above us. And you see that I'm, I'm, I'm thinking now specifically, if you think about like in college terms, right? I was an athlete. Mm -hmm. right? And the typical inner dialogue is don't hang out with the normal kids. You're an athlete, you know, right. you, you spend your time with athletes. They're not like these normal kids aren't going to bring any right. value to you, you right. know? And there's almost that subconscious feeling amongst the kids who aren't athletes as well. Like, oh, I'm looking at these guys who are above me because they play a sport. Right. You know, it's a, it's a weird dynamic that, that we face. And and it, and it happens, and I don't necessarily have all the answers because look, if those are your friends, those are your friends. Like, I I don't. That's that's cool. Like, you yeah. should have that. In the context of one of the things that we do at Everyman is, you know, our groups, and and, and a you know a weekly Everyman men's group. The intention is not for those men to be your best friends you know, every man in my group has a life outside of my group and we don't necessarily see each other outside of my group. Hmm. We are there in service of ourselves and the group. Hmm. And we use that space to develop a deeper understanding with ourselves. And the group supports that in me. And I use, and the group creates that space, that safe space for me to practice stepping into uncomfortable territory, for me to be more authentic with who I am, for me to express the things that I can't express. Mm -hmm. And for then those men to reflect back on me, how I'm showing up, who, uh, who am I in that moment? And yeah. I take the gifts and the learnings from that practice. And I then go and apply it in my real life. And through that practice, I develop a deeper understanding of myself and connection with myself. Yeah. But I also develop a far deeper level of empathy and awareness for, for others. Yeah, I'm sure you step into these groups sometimes. And I've, I've had this more recently as I've began to sit in my own men's groups and facilitate a few as well is like, you step into this group and you look at everybody first before you even hear anything about them. You see their physical stature and of course. You, that guy's bigger than me. That guy's smaller than me. That guy's stronger than me. And you create yeah. an immediate perception of who that guy is before you've even spoken a word to him. And like you share there, it's like you then hear what he's up against and you right. then have a dialogue with him and your entire perception of how you show up to maybe men with that body type and all body types shifts 100 percent. well and what's beautiful I, I see this all the time is oftentimes in a group context 
the man that you initially have the most apprehension towards or conflict with or fear of provides you the greatest growth and healing and understanding of yourself. Hmm. But had it not been for that group, you wouldn't have been confronted with that. Because remember, we orient towards people that look like us, towards comfort, towards towards the things that ultimately keep us safe. Isn't it funny how the people we look at as our enemies, the people who trigger us the most are so often the most sincere and authentic forms of our growth and are mirroring back to us our, our deepest pain points. Of course, of course. Then the value is, do you actually have the awareness to receive that learning, that insight, that growth, and use it in service of yourself and others? Mm. Which the immediate thing that happens in my mind when I think about that is, the perception is I am weaker. I am lessening myself and putting him above me. And men don't like to feel as though they're putting another man above them. So how do you approach that conversation? How do you look at yourself and start begin to approach every man opposite you as an opportunity for growth? And sh- I, I suppose as I'm saying it, it's like you've got to shift the dialogue in, internally. Right? You got to shift the, the inner dialogue. It's a projection, right? You're just projecting onto that man what you don't like or love in your own self. Can we take an example here? I'd love to. I'd love to go. I'd love to take an example. Um, uh, you know, oh, Billy, I think you're full of shit. You're you're totally fucking full of shit. Right? Blah, blah, blah. Okay. What am I full of shit about in my own life? Hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm just taking that dishonor, that that discomfort and dishonor of my own self, and I'm just projecting it onto you. I noticed this, and I have noticed this a lot as I've began to do my own healing work is for a long time, I grew up with, I was small, four foot 11. I had acne. I never really attracted women in my life. Mm -hmm. And I used to always look at the guys who attracted women with a deep despise. And I look at it now and really within me, it was the confidence levels that they embodied that I did not have. That's what I despised. How effortlessly they could speak to women, how easily and confidently they would approach these conversations and how weak I felt. And they embodied parts of me that I really innately wish that I had, but I wasn't willing to accept that and I wasn't willing to, willing to face it. And so in turn, hatred, I guess, arose. 100%. At the same time, my question would be is how congruent is that confidence, that external confidence versus the internal confidence? Hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, hmm. we... We we can project confidence to mitigate weakness and fear. 
So how do you show up in environments where confidence is required? You know, like, like for example, I, I think of me as an athlete, right? When you're insecure and you're not in the best state, you have to step on that field and you have to almost in many ways mask everything else that's going on and just show up with this level of overwhelming belief for your teammates, for the guys that you're serving. If you're a captain of a team, for the people that you're, you're, you're the guys that you're playing with, how do you approach that? Well, I guess my question would be, why does that, what, what does that look like? So, so take me through the behavior. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I think for me, it, it lasted um, heavily in college. Uh, I came in out of high school and I was, I considered myself a really good player. I'd always been the main man in every team. And I got to college and looking back now, everybody was there. They were there. They were at the level, you know? And that really affected my confidence. I got redshirted my first year uh, after getting injured. And then my second year, I was sort of in and out of the team. But there was a level of like fake it till you make it that existed for me when I stepped on, when I, when I decided to step on the field because I didn't want to let on to the fact that I'm really fucking nervous right now. And I, underneath the surface, I don't believe that I'm good enough to be on this field right now. And I don't, I believe I'm too weak. I believe that my mind's not working fast enough. I don't believe I'm good enough. I've been conditioned to believe I'm not good enough over the past year. Yet the moment that I'm told I'm, I'm going on or I'm playing, it's like, whew, wipe that away. What's next? What's next? Right. Right. And I think we default to this form of leadership that has to be, I have all the answers. I know how to do it. I'm super, you know, mm. alpha, we're going to win, yeah. right? Yeah. Which is fine, but there's a cost to that because there's a weight that comes with it. You know, what What would happen if we just showed up and was like, hey, ah, I'm afraid that we might lose this game. I'm afraid that we might, that I'm too weak to be on the field. But when you release yourself from that burden or that responsibility of being a certain way, you actually open up space to be a completely other way, which is probably more in, in, in congruency with who you are in this moment. Mm. That's leadership. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. You know, so, in, in, an athlete that I love right now is, is Patrick Mahomes. And I'm, I'm totally biased because I'm from Kansas City. Um, you and me but, both. I think he, he embodies <laughs> an unbelievable level of just assuredness. Assuredness, but what I see in Patrick is a young man that knows he's a young man. And he doesn't try to be anybody other than who he is. Hmm. He doesn't have the most polished answer. He doesn't have, you know, the perfect way of doing it. He does you know, he yeah. he he is from what I can tell, showing up exactly who he is. And I think that 
what has happened for him is by showing up exactly who he is. He's actually been given, he's sort of tapped into a superpower. Yeah. Which now has further incentivized him to just be exactly who he is. You know, I love, I, I love the saying, uh, it was used by someone who actually came on my, my podcast season one, Gavin Jones, and he says this a lot. He says, energy cannot be created nor destroyed. It can only be transferred, right? And we give so much energy to trying to be somebody that we're not. It's like 90% of our energy is given to creating an identity of ourselves that is outside of ourselves. And with that 10% left, that's how we show up to the world. And it's mm -hmm. almost like what you're saying here is, is Patrick Mahomes is like, he's dropped the energy of trying to be somebody because he knows who he is. And his yeah. energy goes entirely to the game and just show up. 100% to the game. You know, and I think that what you see is projections onto him. You know, the, the haters project onto them because that is a very free way of being. Hmm. Who wouldn't want to be free? Yeah. So that's another probably, that's a mirror, right? For, for a lot of the population of, of the envy that exists there. Totally, totally. I, I mean, you look at so many of these superstars, right? And you, when you think about it deeply, it's like so many of them get hate because there's an envy and there's a jealousy of what they've achieved and what they do and what they embody and how they show up. Well, and you look at you look at the burden of that weight, right? Yeah. I mean, you see it. I mean, it continues to play out whether it's in you know, tennis or, 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 you know, golf or whatever it may be, but you know, the weight of this need to be this certain way, it, at some, at some point it just becomes too much, you know, and now you see it more prevalent, uh, obviously, because the, the stakes are much higher in those, in those environments, but that same thing plays out in, in our lives, hmm. you know, in our everyday lives. And would you look at, maybe a direct correlation between the moment that you decided that it became too much trying to keep up and the moment your healing journey began? It, it definitely was. It was, it was, you know, the way I'm, the way of being that I have constructed for myself is no longer working. You know, and I think for me, it, it, it came to a point of, you know, sort of achieving a lot of things on an individual level to, you know, I, I grew up a not very well-off kid who suffered from dyslexia and, you know, worked. I was probably like the hardest working like C student ever, right? <laughs> you know, nobody had sort of pegged me for an achiever, whatever that meant, hmm. right? Yeah. And that was very motivating. I went out and I did a lot of things, I, you know, worked hard, went to business school, did, you know, um, you know, worked for tech companies and, and did all of those things. And, and I, I acquired a lot of the things that I thought that I should be, I acquired a lot of the things that I thought I should, 
And I did a lot of the things that I thought I should be doing as a man to validate myself. Such as? Uh, I mean, you know, work and uh, travel and, you know, education, just all of these things. I'm not, none of them necessarily bad, but the incentive to do them was coming from the wrong place. So then when I got them and they didn't bring me the level of fulfillment and happiness that I was looking for, I got very upset. Mm. I was like, fuck, I worked my ass off to get to this place and I thought it was going to make me happy and I'm not happy. Mm. What's going on? Is it because you were doing it for the perception of others? Were you doing it for what has been deemed the life that you should live? What what was, why were you doing it? I think that I was doing it because it was what I thought that I should be doing. It wasn't aligned. It wasn't congruent with me and who I, what I wanted to do and who I wanted to be in the world. I think this is a great, beautiful topic of conversation. The amount of men and young men who are, in a phase of their life right now where they have to choose and they're going to choose either something that aligns with them or they're going to choose with an identity and a vision for their life that somebody else has. What is important for them to know right now? That, that's a great question. Um, Quite honestly, I think we, we, we live in a culture and a society that puts way too much emphasis in term, into what we do. The thing that we do to make money becomes the thing that has to define us in this world. Hmm. Yeah. And there are so many other things that one could be doing. And I, I'm certainly not, you know, look, um, we live in a, in a, in a capitalistic society. Like we, we, we need to work and we need to do things. Um, and we need to make money and we need to care for ourselves. That's, that's how this, uh, for the most part, like it or not, that's how this game was constructed as of right now. However, there's a lot more outside of just that. And like when we put everything into the thing that we do as the thing that defines us, you know, we lose parts of ourselves. Yeah. I think, you know, everybody wants to be a good worker. What happened to being a good friend? What happened to be? What happened to being a good community member? What happened to being a good um, brother, or you know, or, or or son? Yeah. You know, like the intangible things that the, the or I should say the things that don't necessarily pay us in money, but pay us in 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 the real sort of wealth, the experience of life. With the experience of life, the exchange of experience. Yeah. 
I love that. And I suppose I want to not play devil's advocate a little bit here, but I want to pose another question, which is the identity that we've created around what it means solely based on what we do versus choosing a path because it feels as though the weight of the world rests on your shoulders based on how everybody else has come to see you. So like you said, we become, we define ourselves by what we do. But I would also say that there is a fear that others define us by what we do. And so how do you get past the fear of others defining you by what you do and choose what aligns with yourself? That's, you got to become comfortable being uncomfortable. Look, not everybody's going to like you. Gotta let go of that need, eh? I mean, you know, if you're worried about what everybody might think, (laughs) you're gonna spend all your time pleasing and you're not gonna spend any time doing anything for yourself. Hmm. And what about when it gets to people closer to you? You know, those who, who hold weight because you care so deeply about them. You talked about brother, friend, son. That implies father, mother, <laughs> those closest to you. The, the, the piece that I think is important is, I, I say this to, or what I believe is that whatever you choose to do, that's fine. It's your choice. It's free will. That's how our, it's okay. Yeah. But own your motivation for doing it and be very honest with yourself. Do you want to spend all your money on a kick-ass car so you can drive it around? Like, you know, and the, and the primary motivation around that is to, you know, make people think you're rich and, you, you know, pick up, you know, women. Yeah. That's fine. Just oh, own it. Be honest with yourself. Hmm. Just totally, totally fucking own that. Yeah. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, I really love the mechanics on that. (laughs) Okay, cool. Well, then if that's the case, then own that. Yeah. But then don't try to tell me that you're not doing that for this other reason. Yeah. Like, look, if you take a job because you want to get rich, fucking more power to you. But Mm. just own the fact that you want to get rich and that's why you're doing that thing. Like, no problem. Which I think at the most heightened point, if you really look at like why loneliness levels are so high and why there's a deep level of misunderstanding amongst men, it's because we are consistently gathering in false unity. (laughs) When really, if we all just decided to be honest, I think those levels of isolation and loneliness would dramatically decrease. Totally. I I mean... 
just own the the part of yourself that is kind of scary and ugly and that you don't really want to admit mm. but just bring that to the light the fear is the unknown of what happens when you bring it to the light Yeah, but the, the second that you do that, there's a greater, you're more in alignment than not. Yeah. There's a deeper level of authenticity. Yeah. Like I can respect you more. If Billy says to me, hey, the reason why I spent all the money on my bank account on this car is because it really, you know, makes me feel awesome and I like to drive it around. And, and I like the fact that people then think that I'm rich. Like, dude, I'll respect that. I appreciate, I'll, I'll, I'll be like, all right, dude, that's what, that's your thing. Fuck yeah. <laughs> cool. But yeah. that's real. I, I, I mean, I like that, but like what, what, what comes from that is, that's real for you. And if that's real for you, what can I say about that? Because we're all unique. We're all individuals. And I think so many men are afraid to voice it, not only because the people on the other side of them, but the moment that they voice, like when you share about that car, the moment that they voice that I'm doing this to look rich, that I'm doing this to look wealthy. The moment that your truth is voiced, I think there's an internal realization that happens. And that's where the discomfort arises. Like, I'm owning this now, but do I really want to be owning this? Mm -hmm. Do I really mm -hmm. want to be owning this truth? And so what we do, we'd rather do is we'd rather lie because it saves the opinion and perception of others, but it also saves us from having to face ourselves and the reality of what really exists. Inside. Right. Right. I mean, it, it th there's an exercise that I, uh, we do, you know, Billy, when you say X, I feel Y. You know, Billy, when you say Lucas, like you, you know, I think you're full of shit. Say, Billy, when you say that, I feel sad. And like, Lucas, why, why should you feel sad? What, like, you should be fucking angry. Like, fuck, I'm angry at you. Blah, blah, like, I don't know. I feel sad. That's just what's true for me. Hmm. Yeah. Sadness is what I feel. And you can't change that in me. That's what I feel. That's my own experience. I love that. I love that. And we can spend all of our time and energy in trying to change people's experiences, but that's their feeling. That's what they are experiencing in this moment. And that's theirs. Mm. 
So it's almost like a two-pronged, the work needs to be done in two ways then, right? It's like, it's, it's bringing awareness to the fact that you can share the truth of what you're feeling, but also bringing awareness to the fact that when somebody does, your reaction shapes how they show up in the future, whether they oh, cave totally. or whether they grow. Totally. I mean, the, the, the way that we can de-escalate and or connect on a deeper level is just be, being, what's, being honest with what's true for us. And the truth, you know, we always tell guys, take the elevator down from your head to your heart. Because here's the thing, our mind can figure it out. Our mind can rationalize and run circles around us all day long. Like we're really good at when a guy says to me, like, let me figure it out. I'm like, oh shit, here we go. Hit the fucking red alert because you will figure it out. You will figure out whatever it is that you want to figure out. And then you'll spend all your time convincing yourself by what, that what you so, figured out totally. is correct. Uh, let me think about it. No, don't fucking think about it. Like drop down into your heart because what you feel like we were given this superpower, our feeling, our emotion, our, our emotionality, our vulnerability is our superpower. It's what makes us human. Hmm. I see and the slogan. Our, <laughs> it, well, it's the thing that guys don't tap into. It's don't like, think about it. Man. Feel into it. <laughs> totally. But like, think about it. Like it is the superpower that every man has and that, very few actually tap into. Do you think maybe that's because when they, all the times when they have chosen to feel, it comes up with the world of suppression that they've built inside for so long? Because I think it's because we're not taught how to do it. Uh, are some men taught or do you think no one, no men are taught? Uh, I can't generalize. Um, every man is different, but I think that for most men, our relationship with vulnerability and emotion has been taught through the lens of a female perspective. <laughs> and I say that if you think about it, for most households, obviously our, our cultural landscape is changing significantly, but the father is at work and the mother is at home. Your teacher is a woman. Your nurse is a woman, right? A lot of the interactions that we had early on in our development as adolescents came through the lens of women, which I'm not saying is a bad thing, but our relationship with emotions is very feminine. So we as men don't have a masculine relationship with our emotions. Hmm. We, don't, we don't know how to express emotionality from a masculine place. Yeah. Huh. 
I do this, uh, I've started doing this thing with, with some of the guys that I work with, which is redefining that vulnerability where you ask them, you know, what does vulnerability mean? Like what are the words that come up? And often it's like fear. Fear is one of the big words that comes up, you know, weakness is another one that comes up. And then the redefining of that is, well, why don't you talk? Well, cause I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what it means. So wouldn't you say that <laughs> you are now afraid of speaking? So wouldn't you say that it takes courage to talk? And eventually we get to the place where courage is now paired with vulnerability. Mm. And the new definition of that vulnerability and courage go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Brené, I don't know if you've seen Brené's, Brené Brown or done, done some research on her stuff, but she is like the epitome of, of, of comparing courage to vulnerability, right? And it's, I think that's where the work lies for, for men is in, is in that redefinition. It, do, it does. And, you know, I, I mean, the work that we do at Everyman is so, you know, we focus a lot on the science behind what's actually happening. You know, what's yeah. the relationship on a biological level between our physical self, our emotional self, and our uh, mental self? Because those, those are the three parts of our being, right? And so we look at the work that we do at Everyman through the lens of how does our time in groups, how does the time that we spend in programs, you know, how, how we, you know, we look at everything that we do through the, through the lens of health. How do we support our overall health and well-being as, as humans, as men? Yeah. Uh, not simply through, you know, sort of expressing emotionality. It's like, okay, great. But like, what's the relationship between emotions and our physical self, our mental self. Hmm. What are the benefits of that? You know, yeah. the, the practice, the pedagogy that we do, everything, it's, it's, it's no different than yoga. It's just like going to the gym. It's a, <laughs> it's a continual practice of developing a muscle that is severely underdeveloped in men that has the ability to provide us significant benefits in multiple areas of our life. So looking at that and looking at a man who's doing none of that, what are the key tools for change to become a happy, healthy, embodied man at the core level? Like if you could do a generalized overview of like to become a happy, healthy, embodied man, I know the specifics, I know there's depth to it all, but at the core level, what does a man need to incorporate into his life in order to find that? Connection. Full stop. Loneliness kills us. We're pack animals. If we fall out of a pack, we die. If a wolf falls out of a pack, what happens? They die. Yeah. How do we create connection? The only way that we can create connection is through vulnerability. A lot of us think that we're connected. Yeah, we have lots of friends on... I don't know, TikTok and, you know, Snapchat and all this other bullshit. But like, there's no energetic exchange. Connection, the, the nutrient 
of connection. The nutrient that nourishes us. Yeah. That makes us human comes through vulnerability. And if we don't know how to be vulnerable, if we don't know how to tap into what's real and present for us and what we're feeling and experiencing, then how, one, can we have a connection with ourselves? But if we don't have a connection with ourselves, then how do we have a connection with somebody else? And if we don't have a connection with another person, then we're not going to receive the nutrient. So like, I don't really care how many you know, how much weight you can lift and how many, you know, how long you can sit in the ice bath and do all this other stuff because it doesn't matter. If you're not connected, like you're not healthy. Yeah. And so many of us would consider... You will die before another man that is connected. Scientifically proven. Boring, you know, any catastrophic accident or anything else. I saw something the other day that said that uh, loneliness is more damaging to our health than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Of course. Which is funny. We look at our lives and we think we are so much more connected. We think we're so much more connected through social media, through, um, through the people we can communicate with through this device, our phones computers, Zoom, we think we're more connected. Well, we gorge ourselves on fast food connection. You know, like what happens when you, you know, have a late night out and you go to McDonald's and you eat, you know, extra value meal and everything else. Like within three hours, like you're on the toilet, like shitting your brains out, right? Because there's no nutrient in that. Hmm. Like there's no nutrient in that connection. Yeah. <laughs> so it's the short, it's almost like in this, in this example, it's like we'd prefer the short-term comfort and then we suffer long-term with the food. Oh, we go for short-term comfort in the form of sweets and, and McDonald's and fast food. Well, yeah, because it's tricking our, you know, it tricks our brain. You know, it tricks the endorphins and, you know, all, all the, all kind of, I mean, you know, there's scientists that are smarter than me that can explain all of it, but like, that's what, that's what's happening. It's funny how that compares to connection though, right? Like we would rather avoid the truth because it's uncomfortable and we will live with the longer term pain of that than face maybe something that isn't as easy in this conversation and heal ourselves long-term. Yeah. And create a foundation, you know, like I think one of the things that, that is hard for, for men is, you know, we oftentimes hold on to a lot of relationships that don't necessarily serve us. Relationships come and go, you know, the friends that I was friends with in high school, aren't necessarily, you know, the friends that I have now. And that's okay. Yeah. I think there's this interim phase though, and I've noticed this in in my journey, um, as I began to separate from the people that I was connected to in high school and college, 
there was an, <laughs> again, if I was going back to Brene Brown, it's like braving, she says, braving the wilderness, right? You venture out into this new unknown realm. And I found myself in that phase. And what I kept doing for a long period of time was to avoid being physically alone. I would put myself back in these social groups that weren't serving me mm-hmm. because I was so scared of the temporary phase that existed in the middle between leaving these groups of people and finding my new tribe that I kept resorting back to the same people. And, and that's okay. And that's healthy. And, it, you know, and, it, and it's... Is it healthy when they're harming, when, when you're in com, uh, community? No, it's, yeah, I'm saying it's the, the interim phase is healthy. Ah, yeah. It's okay. But again, that comes back to that, that being okay with just the discomfort. Someone you know, described it to like, me the other day as the difference between loneliness and aloneness. Totally. Well, well, well. That. Yeah. I loved that. I think that was brilliant. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, Lucas, I think we're going to close this out now. And, and before we do so, we have a couple questions from, from the guys in the Young Aspirers community. Um, Let's do it. The, they've submitted. And I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read out these questions. I'm going to read out all of them, right? There's five questions. Uh, and then we'll go back to the first one. And, and they, can, they don't have to be long-winded answers. They could be whatever comes to your heart in the moment, all right? Yeah. So the first question's from Robin. He's 19. He lives in Germany. And he said, I don't have the money to separate from my environment, but I know that I have to change my environment in order to become the man that I want to be. What should I do? So I'm going to read all of these and then I'm going to come back to the first one. The second one's from Trey. He's 23, lives in North Carolina. And he said, I'm being pushed down a career path that I don't want to go down. It's paying the bills, but it's not my vision. How can I find my purpose and follow it without upsetting those closest to me? The third one's from John. He's from England. He's 21. And he said, I keep putting myself in environments with people that I don't even like being around just to avoid being lonely. I guess it's a little bit like what we talked about a second ago. I end up feeling more isolated when I'm with them, but then I'm lonely when I'm alone. How do I stop being lonely and find my people? The fourth one, and these last two are anonymous. They they didn't want their name in here, which is okay. A 20-year-old man. From the outside, I look strong, happy, and healthy. I'm in good shape. I'm popular. I have a family who loves me. Inside, I feel like no one gets me. I want people to understand me, but I'm scared to tell the truth of what I feel because I know I'll be judged. I'm stuck. How do I get unstuck? I love it. Last one, 18-year-old man. Every time I go out to parties, I get way too drunk because I feel awkward when I'm sober. When I drink, I talk to girls more. I'm more confident. I feel more secure in myself. I want to be able to com- to be confident without alcohol. How do I build up my confidence? It's just a choice. (laughs) It's a choice that he has. I I don't know. I don't know how to say it. You just decide, decide like is the person that I'm, is the person that I am when I'm drunk, the person that I want to be, if not, then I need to stop that behavior. To hear the full answer to that question, as well as all the other answers to the questions I asked our guest today, head over to billygartonjr.com. 
scroll down to the section that reads, are you looking for a place to figure it all out? Click on the button that reads, count me in, fill out the information, and a member of my team will be sure to reach out to get you involved in the You Choose Brotherhood. Boy, will this brotherhood change your life. Community and connection meets courageous conversation. Monthly mastermind calls, bi-monthly brotherhood check-ins, mini courses, and answers to some of your life's greatest questions. We have it all in here. Head over to billygartonjr.com. Scroll down to the section that reads, are you looking for a place to figure it all out? Click on the button that reads, count me in, fill out the information, and a member of my team will be sure to reach out. Super excited to see you there. I suppose that leads me to, Lucas, as we close this out, this has been a phenomenal, phenomenal conversation. And I appreciate you being willing and able to go so deep and to stick with us here. It's been a a lengthy conversation. Um, Where can people find you? What has every man got coming up? What are you here to to share with the world at the moment? Um, Yeah, everyman.com, E-V-R-Y-M-A-N, just one E. Um, Join our, every month we do our fundamentals program, which is a four-week online program, um, which is the foundation kind of for guys to start learning the basic skills and some of the practices that we incorporate in all of our groups at Everyman. Um, as part of the fundamentals program, you'll also have access to our uh, online platform. You know, guys from all over the world are on that platform. Um, every single day, uh, we do daily drop-in groups that are facilitated by our um, facilitators. Um, we have lots of mind-body classes and exercises. Um, and more importantly, like the, you're just you're enrolled in a community um, of men that have your back, that are like-minded and that want the same things that are working towards the same things. And, you know, the, you know, the old adage, right? If you want to go fast, go along, if go alone, if you want to go far, go together. Like that is what every man is, is about. Um, Mm. Just come and get involved. I love it. I love it. Lucas from, Honestly, from the deepest part of my heart, thank you. This has been an incredible conversation. You've served up some amazing wisdom for for the young men and the audience in its entirety that, that have listened to this. So I do greatly appreciate your time. I greatly appreciate your support of, of this mission and the support of the young men here. Um, and to everybody else that's listening, uh, that has tuned in and been tuning in for a while, you know where to find me at Billy Garton Jr. across all channels. You know what the next step is here if you've been listening. Plug into every man as, as Lucas shared there. Plug into the Young Aspires community with young men who are doing this work with you. We're here together. We're here to grow. We're here to evolve. We're here to transform. And we're here to support you in that journey. Thank you again for tuning in for another episode of the Inspiring Young Aspirers podcast. I hope you were inspired. I hope you learned and I hope you grew today. Cheers, guys. See you soon.